this is Delano from DelanoBound.com, also RopeDojo.com. This podcast is for adults 18 or older. Hello, and I've got a cold slash flu thing. So I'm going to make this quick. Uh, first of all, remember a couple weeks ago, Crimson was on the show, and for those people who donate 200 bucks or more, get to hang with Crimson, well, Morgana, who's been on the show as well, friend of the show, Morgana, She's also uh, got a special uh, for those who donate to the podcast. You can see everything. Go to MasterCast.com. So just go to MasterCast.com. You can click the uh, support button there. It'll take you to a page that shows you what you get for doing what. And uh, thanks to everyone who's donated so far. We're like 35% of the way to the goal to keep the podcast going for one more year. And it's really nice. You don't have to donate like a hundred bucks or you know five hundred bucks or anything like that to uh, to be appreciated. Because I'll be in a meeting sometimes and uh, at my lame ass job, and I'll be sitting there and I get a notification: someone donated five bucks. That's pretty damn good. Someone donated five bucks usually means they probably can't afford five bucks, but they're still donating five bucks, which is really nice. Uh, so thanks for that. Massacast.com, just uh, click that support button and, you know, whatever you can. If it's a buck, that's just as helpful uh, as a thousand. Well, not as, it's close to as helpful as a thousand. It's really nice. It's really nice when, you know, just people giving whatever they can. This episode is um, Midori on the show. Thankfully, I wasn't sick when I talked to her and um, she came by the, the show and it was uh, a lot of fun to hang with her. So here she, here she is, Midori. Welcome to uh, sunny East Harlem. Thank you. Do you find the place no problem? Uh, no problem. Nothing quite like giving the address to a taxi driver. <laughs> yeah, that makes it easy. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, we've been wanting to set this up for a long time. Vivian, who's actually... Uh, say hi, Vivian. Hello. Yeah, she's been on the show before. She, she has been trying to connect us for a long time. And we finally got to sit down and chat. This is great. When I, when I tweeted that you were going to be on, uh, people were like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Yay. There's a certain reaction that, uh, that people have when they find out either you're in the room or you're at an event. or And, and, and the giddiness, I think, is the only thing I can call it. <laughs> people get this really, it must be really nice to feel that, that you get that uh, reaction from people. Yeah, I admit it. It's it's. It's nice. I yeah. mean, I, you know, I'm I'm actually a, a geeky, nerdy introvert in many ways. So, yeah, it makes me, you know, tickly giggly. One one wouldn't know by uh, your schedule that you're an introvert, though. Uh, well, let's see. Introvert just means that they value their quiet alone time. So I mean, imagine yeah. those brief moments you're really focused on the alone time. Yeah, and I, I do treasure them. I really treasure the connections with people and talking with people and then i need my time with uh a rothko why do you think people squeal when they find out you're in the room it's it's almost like a beetle is here uh, you know i don't know maybe because i maybe actually too humble to know? try to listen to them yeah or maybe uh you know what i think it is maybe it's that the things that i say echo their experiences you know there's somebody else who's saying things that aren't cliche mm-hmm. that echoes the realities of of actual people and their sexuality and identity, and yeah, I, I also wear my mistakes and ponderings and and all that on the sleeve, you know. So, I think also, there's a lot of people who give presentations, not just presentations, but a lot of people who 
uh, when they're presenting themselves as an expert at something, whether it's, in your case, it's rope or different areas of sexuality, some people, when they do that, it's sort of a... The, the attitude is sort of my way of the highway type of thing, mm. or it's uh, it's not human, right? Mm. It's almost like they've created this persona of expertise that one can't really connect with. Whereas when someone sees you present, I actually, you probably don't remember this, but I actually uh, did sign language interpretation for one of your... You did? Yeah, for one of your, uh, at the Museum of Sex. And oh. it was amazingly difficult to... Was that the art of feminine dominance, or which um, uh, was it the superhero women? I think it was the superhero women. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm a novice at sign language, but uh, I do remember how usually when I, I've been do, I was doing translation for a friend, and it was usually very easy to translate for most people yeah. when I'm doing But for you, it was more difficult for me because I ended up actually, I was actually paying attention to what you were saying. <laughs> Whereas, you know... I also do a lot of physical humor, and I do goofy faces. And, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, which actually translates fairly well yeah. for someone who's uh, deaf. And so, yeah, I remember that very distinctly, thinking, wow, this is very different for... In, in fact, there were times when my interpretation was... My, my translation wasn't even needed, because you're very animated, and my friend could easily get the gist of what you were saying based on just your... Your actions. My goofiness, yeah. You know, most of, well, I'd say pretty much everything that I teach is based on everything I've screwed up. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm not naturally good at anything. I've just figured it all out through stumbling and mistake and bumbling, but here's the thing, you know, I, I stumble, I bumble, I make mistakes, but I'm incredibly curious as to why we do things. And I'm nerdy, so I take a challenge and I, I deconstruct it and figure out the why. And you know whether it's say like uh, dominance and submission or or actually uh, like rope bondage. It's not about tying. All the stuff that's really really complex and what I would consider advanced, quote unquote, air quotes there. Um, are the intangibles? It's the human factor, right? Or to, uh, how to how to grasp and grapple humiliation play, erotic humiliation play that's that's healthy and constructive or destructive, or how do you have uh, ethical dominance? Or you know all this stuff. I I've made profound mistakes. I've tried to learn from them and. I tackle them, analyze them, and then I share what I've learned back to folks, and it seems to resonate. I think that's probably, yeah, that's why people connect with what you're saying so much, is because it's much easier for, especially someone uh, jumping into something they've never done before, whether it's rope or dominance or something like that, it's much easier to connect and identify with someone who's saying, okay, here's how I screwed up in the past, rather than someone who just comes out and says, I'm the greatest, and here's how you'd be like me. Right? Oh, yeah. In fact, this, um, I was just telling a story at Body Storytelling, which is this amazing uh, uh, true life sex story, true life sexual experience storytelling event. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was over at FetFest. I told my story, what I call my tragic enema fail story. I think we're going to have to. Do you want to? No, no, no. Let's say that. You've got to come to a body storytelling sometime because those are the places where I will tell you. All my amazing 
what I thought was a good idea at the time stories. I don't no not, now that I think about it, maybe it's best that I don't hear that. No. Okay. okay. Wait wait for when I when I'm in body. That's good. That's good. Is it B A W D Y? Yes. Sorry, right. Um, how did you get started presenting? Well, let's see. Um, or maybe back up even further. How did mm. you get started? You know, how did you find out you were kinky? How did you get into the scene? Well, let's see. <laughs> you know, that's a hard question actually for me to answer because for the longest time. I didn't really think of myself as kinky. I, I think only recently I'm like coming to terms with yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm with, I'm with, I'm with, I'm with us. Yeah. Okay, all of us <laughs> kinky, pervy people. But I've never felt that there was a closet to come out of. Not because it's that oh, amazing, liberated life, but okay, my background coming from Japan. There is much that one does behind closed doors that you simply don't speak of. Sure. There is modesty and decorum. It is not to say that the Japanese are prude and repressed people. No, we are not. We are filthy perverts. We are the home of tentacle hentai. <laughs> we just like to have our tentacles behind closed doors. Right. So uh, as I was exploring, lots of tried lots of different things. Uh, I just thought other people did them too, and they just didn't talk about them yeah. to be, you know, polite. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe it's only in the last five years that I've figured this out, that maybe, you know, other people feel, come up differently. Yeah. So, uh, let's see. Um, I came into my adult sexual rights and uh, privilege in you know, full bloom in college in Berkeley, exploring tons of different sort of sex life. And then I end up moving over to San Francisco and oh, so much to explore. <laughs> yes. And this is in the 80s, 80s, early 90s. So yeah, um, before the internet, that's like we're talking IRCs. That's your, right? I, yeah, I wasn't even on IRCs because it was all my... Um, uh, EE friends that were, you know, my engineering friends that were on that, not me. Yeah. You know, humanities. Yeah. No, I had roommates that had, like, boxes and things and lights on screens, and I don't know, and they played D&D &D and I, whatever. Um, and I went to coffee shops. <laughs> yeah. But I started exploring the sexual subcultures of San Francisco. Now, this is right as... Um, it's the age of the plague. Yeah. You know, so many have died in San Francisco. People were falling like flies, and yet, like yet another Marianne Singleton, I come stumbling into San Francisco, and that's a reference from uh, Tales of the City. Mm -hmm. And I came in to explore my adult sexual privilege. So I'm going to strip clubs and peep shows and swingers parties, and I would go to erotic poetry readings, anything that I could find, interesting flyers on the back page of weekly magazines, because you didn't have a website to go find them. <laughs> and I would get this, dressed up and all alone, because I'm living in the city alone. That's incredibly and brave to do this all by yourself. I know. Kind of foolish now that I think about it. So... I get dressed up in cool, cute little outfits and whatever the theme was. And because I'm shy, and I was a lot shyer with less conversational tools, but I liked dressing up. Ooh, didn't know the word fetishist yet. I dress up, explore personas, fantastic outfits. And here was a place that I could 
dress up. And I would show up to places, and people politely interacted with me. And because I am from Japan, I am very concerned about etiquettes, manners, boundaries, and、um, decorum. Yeah, I'm a pervert who's into good manners and decorum. And the San Francisco culture was full of that and imbued with that. I would go to places and I would go dancing in gay bars and I'd be, you know, crammed between、uh, wall to wall full of sexy half naked men and they'd be flirting with me. Yay! <laughs> I would go to a, a strip joint and then cute little stripper chicks would come, like, pull the quiet girl out of. Actually, that's how I met Nina Hartley, <laughs> but that's a whole nother story.、Um, Would pull me out of the crowd and give me little extra special lap dances, the cute wide eyed girl alone、mm-hmm. among businessmen.、Um, and along the way, I, I met uh, uh, Carol Queen and Robert Lawrence. And、uh, then I'd go to a party, and、uh, I remember being taught,、um, I was curious about this cutting thing that was going on. So I, I asked the person how to, I was hanging around enough that、uh, she signaled me over. And just sat me down and without so much word, just started to show me how to do a cutting on a person. Right? And the name was Califia. This is something, if you're not, I mean, if you're not into it, that can, that can be a scene that would scare someone away. Yeah.、Uh, there was definitely something twisted about me. Yeah. I was fascinated. I know kinky people. Identify as kinky, who, if they are even around a cutting, they're 10 blocks away as soon as it starts. The first play party I went to was in a private basement in San Francisco. And it, I, it still sticks to my mind like a, a noir film.、Mm-hmm. Walking down, it's next to a church, a private building. You go through the front gate, down through the back garden, there's a hot tub and tropical <laughs> trees, and you go down, 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 and then, yeah, and, and,、uh, opening ritual. Whoever's listening that knows the party, you'll know, you'll know who I'm talk- what party I'm talking about. But. We've got to get some of those types of parties in New York. Yeah, and then. We had opening rituals with calling to the corners and the sage and all that. But then, walking down these dark stairway to the basement where the ceiling's low, the, the beams are bared,、um, it's light, it's, it, the space is dark with little patches of light in almost little stalls. They weren't beautifully lit play areas. It was these gritty concrete. And dirt floor basement with little stalls with slings and stations. And, and,、uh, and it was a little past the Crisco days, but I think there was a lingering smell, a memory of Crisco. <laughs> yeah. And、uh, the first thing I saw, and not like going to a fetish dance party and that kind of stuff, which there were a couple, you know, little. Punk goth industrial stuff happening.、Mm. Before they were in fetish clubs, it was like, you know, punk goth industrial. And、uh, a lot of ennui in black dancing. Yes. In handcuffs and black eyeliners. <laughs> and、uh, combat boots. But I hooked up and got to this party, and the first scene I saw was a woman、uh, fully mummified, like this duct tape cocoon. Her face was showing, and this light. Shining down upon her, her face glowing beatifically.
as there's piercing needles like a crown of thorn about her forehead and all around her head as blood gently trickling down her brow. And, yeah. Hmm. Uh, And it was like, uh, yeah, it it was like an amazing... um, like a Russian icon, uh, um, it had the lighting of a Dutch master painting, and I didn't know enough to be scared. But everybody was so nice yeah. and so well mannered, and just so sweet and welcoming. Something you said just now when you said I didn't know enough to be scared. I think that's I know a lot of people, myself included, who have experienced that, that mm-hmm. if it was any other word if you were giving someone advice they would say no don't go there because mm-hmm. because you know what the dangers could be but because you didn't know at the time mm-hmm. yeah i've i've been in many of those situations yeah. when i was younger yeah yeah so that was the beginning you started well that's the beginning of public play and yeah. stuff i'd already been messing around with lovers in the bedroom with hey tie me up and shag me oh i tie you up and shag you mm-hmm. Woo-hoo. Oh, and then um, Senator Jesse Helms. Do you remember Senator Jesse Helms? Okay. I actually owe a lot to him. I want to thank him. Really? Whatever hell he's in. Um, (laughs) He was fussing about some sort of immoral sexual deprivation or another, and uh, the Daily Californian, the Berkeley campus newspaper, decided to publish a list of uh, sexual activities that he objects to and sexual activities that are actually on the blue laws in a lot of American states. And my boyfriend at the time and I went through this list and uh, decided to find the ones we should try. Yeah. Because we didn't know what some of those meant. Yes, of course. And like good Berkeley students, we first, you know, what are these things? What quaint laws they are? And which ones shall we try and experiment with? And shall we gather some data and information? And you never would have known about it had it not no, been for No, no. That's right. So thanks. There you go. Yeah. Uh, you're right, though. He is, if there is a hell, he's definitely in it. Um, and at what point do you say, oh, I could teach this? Ah, okay, so that comes with me being a, uh, I come from a long line of uh, social idealists. And, you know, making the world better. That's a nice you line know? to be on. Yeah, yeah, it is, and it's awfully idealistic and, you know... Um, but it's good. It's definitely a feel-good thing, and it's nice to try to make a positive change. I start. Remember, I said it was the the days of the plague, mm-hmm. and I connected with the likes of Robert Lawrence and Carol Queen and Annie Sprinkle, and you know I didn't even know that they were like famous people. Mm-hmm. I they were just my friends yeah. and nice people. They were nice people that bothered to talk to me, you know. You make it sound like people wouldn't talk to you. Well, I was a shy, lonely kid. Ah, uh, and so it took someone who... Right. Right. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm a young woman who suddenly showed up at a party where it could be so easy for people to just hang out with their friends, mm-hmm. right? No, here's a woman that walked in alone, and somebody said, hello, you're new. Um, hey, come, you know, sit down, you know, would you like some chips? That's nice. Yeah. So in just that, yeah. or, oh, you, you're staring at my cutting. Come here, sit down. Do you want to, I'll show you how to do this. Okay. <laughs> you know, potato chips or cuttings, whatever. <laughs> you know, friendly perverts. Sure. Yeah, sure. 
want fries with it. What chips go with the cuttings? I mean, is it uh, probably not Doritos? There's a lot of... No, probably would need to be, you know, locally sourced. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Good stuff, yeah. Um, oh, no, where was I going? Uh, oh, so how I got the teaching. Okay, so they introduced me, many of these friends introduced me to San Francisco Sex Information, which is a free, anonymous, non-judgmental resource and uh, referral line, back then strictly phone, mm-hmm. to give well, non-judgmental information. If you have a question, you deserve an answer. So I went through the full training program through the SARS method and became a peer sexuality resource and educator in the early 90s. We'd hold uh, phone shifts, right? We were right next to the suicide prevention office. So um, we'd be, you know, telling people, no, it's okay. Masturbating is totally fine. And, and thank you. Okay, we'll be here when you need us. And uh, okay, so you, uh, what kind of... Of sex that you have, and do you feel that you're at risk? Here's where you can get your tests. And oh, okay, so you want to be able to uh, uh, go down on your lover better? Okay. And then in the meantime, in the next door, they're like tucking them off the bridge. Yeah. Suicide prevention people would come over to our office for a little break. Of course, of yeah. course. Yeah. Would Life you, and death, I tell you. Were most of the questions you'd get fairly rudimentary, or would you get some questions like? Just really advanced, like, whoa, okay, hold on. Most of the questions were in the realm of, am I okay? Yeah. Am I normal? Yeah, yeah, am I normal? Again, no internet. Yeah, yeah. And this is the day of just say no and abstinence as being the only form of sex ed. Still is the case in some places. Yes, it is. And so I was doing um, San Francisco Sex Information volunteer work answering and talking. Part of the thing that they do is they also train us in uh, presenting. That added to my previous training in uh, presenting, which I didn't mention, U.S. Army. Oh, really? Yes, the U.S. Army, Uncle Sam, taught me how to give a briefing. (laughs) (laughs) This is a a unique... Because, you know, I guarantee there are people who uh, watch you, and they say to themselves, how can I be like her? Join the army. Join the army. (laughs) When I was a kid, my idea was George Carlin. I wanted to be George Carlin. And so I I found out he he had started in radio before, and so I started in radio when I was Mm -hmm. still in high school. And so I guarantee you there's someone out there who's enlisting in the Army right now because they want to be like Midori. Yeah, well, you know, go into one of the branches um, uh, that will give you briefing training. Um, I went through military intelligence, so that meant as a, a you know, lower-level officer, you just give a lot of briefings. Yeah. A lot of briefings, briefings, and then you know, I, I was taught how to stand in front of a flip chart and how to project my voice and you know, basic presentation structures. Right. Never in your wildest dreams did you imagine it would be translating, right? No, I had no idea. I had never actually done any public speaking at all. Mm -hmm. Never. I had no idea I could speak in front of people, right? And so Army presenter training and briefing training. Uh, You know, I still... I still have little residual things that other G, uh, you know, other vets and GIs will totally pick up on. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll say things like eyes front. <laughs> you know. And uh, after you send your presentations, will someone come up and say, "Excuse me"? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They uh-huh. do. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And 
So then I started presenting for San Francisco Sex Information. Then uh, there was a place um, called QSM. It was a little tiny kink bookstore that did little workshops. And the owner of that, Karen, Karen Mendelson, uh, was very good at scouting potential new speakers. And she would coach them a bit. She would pluck out somebody who's doing some interesting things and then give them a little coaching and say, okay, there's something you're passionate about, then you can probably talk for two hours. Mm-hmm. And I actually, my first actual class that I taught, kink, not like San Francisco Sex Information, okay, working, teaching one another, the actual class I taught was Art of Feminine Dominance wow. in, it, in its embryonic state because it's con- developed considerably uh, I just was about to do the math of how long ago it was. I taught that. <laughs> Crap. Wow. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about how it's developed from the, the first class yeah. onward. So that was like my first class. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> that's, that's, a, that's an amazing start. I, when, I, when I asked you the question, I, I, I knew it was going to be an interesting journey, but going from the Army to teaching what you teach now is quite the jump. I guess it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now you've got your own classes. You've that you you mm-hmm. not just your own classes, but you've got your own weekend intensives. Everything from rope to well, since we're on it, how how has the art of female dominance class changed from that very first one to how it is now? Okay, because you do quite a few different ones on female dominance. Now. Well, I do a whole range of classes. Yeah. Um, I, I know this is a kink focused uh, podcast, but my biggest selling short class when I say short like two hour mm-hmm. class uh, Joystick Secret it's the blowjob handjob class yeah. and it's like cocksucking comedy hour <laughs> it's good That's it's great good. yeah and I have a class called Aural Sex using your voice for seduction I've got an awesome uh, how to eat a peach going down on her yeah. class and yeah I've got uh, so what I call my my general bedroom skills classes. Uh, then I have the pervier classes, um, and then I have getting into the psychology of it. I also have classes for college campuses. Hmm? I saw it. You, yeah. I saw your your list. You do quite a, quite a few presentations on college yes. campuses. And the popular class is called Pink Japan Contemporary Sex Culture. It's like a virtual tour of the sexual subcultures of Japan, mostly Tokyo. I had a friend who just came back, mm-hmm. uh, and she was shocked. She was in a good way. She said mm-hmm. she was shocked buying used underwear in the vending machine. You know, she was. She had a whole list of stuff. Oh, sure, pretty yeah. amazing, pretty yeah. amazing. Um, There's an adorable little bar that's a vibrator themed bar, and yeah, yeah, a vibrator themed bar. Yes, yes. Uh, it actually looks like an elegant little bar um, with uh, decorated with a bunch of vibrators. It's it's for. Uh, women to be able to talk about uh, masturbation, right? And I don't mean talk like serious, but talk like have a drink in hand, going, oh, this is my favorite vibrator, yeah, yeah that it, kind is of. It, uh, is it sponsored by Hitachi? I imagine that's probably N- one of the more. No, no, no. it's not. Uh, actually, it, it's, they show several of the high-end, like European designs mm-hmm. as well, uh, Lilo, etc. Yeah. But the owner is this lovely young lady who believes in women claiming their own sexuality. So, That's great. Yeah. 
So it's an elegant little bar. When you're teaching at universities, I, is that the culmination of your academic side and your kink side? All, well, I mean, when you're when you're teaching, I'm sure just in general, you're, mm-hmm. you're being academic. But um, is there something different about teaching at a university than when you're giving one of your other presentations? Yes, I can't assume uh, that the attendees have any sort of base information or knowledge. This might be the first time they're hearing the words that I speak. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. But it's great. I mean, it's great that that you're the, I mean, this is a compliment, obviously, but it's great that you're one of their first experiences uh, and exposures to it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think... uh, is like shame a very common thing you see early on? Because I find like when someone goes to oh, not with the students, no, with administrators. Oh yeah, I suppose. Yeah, but it's, who who chooses you? Is it the st- students or? Well, it depends. Yeah. Uh, sometimes there'll be a, uh, for example, um, program planning at uh, the LGBT resource center and mm-hmm. some campus or another, or it could be. Uh, student activist organization. It could be student-led. It could be a particular instructor who may have come across my books like Wild Side Sex and then go to bat for me because I am an unconventional presenter, that's for sure. How long have you been teaching at universities? um, Seven, eight years maybe. Maybe then, because I was curious about... And just you're in a unique position to answer mm-hmm. this. Uh, since you have a, a group of people, students, who are usually starting a, a, with a clean slate of their sexual mm-hmm. history, when people come to your classes, do you find that they, because of the internet, maybe they have more incorrect information, or they're starting out with a huge jump leap ahead of, of people who, you know, ten years earlier would have. I, I have found that lately. Um, there's less being encumbered with more traditional sexual shame, mm-hmm. and they're clear on clear, clear on being able to communicate their question uh, without being excessively embarrassed by it. These are college kids. Mm-hmm. They're smart. Okay? They are smart just because they don't have one or two pieces of information on something. You know, they they connect the dots mm-hmm. and. Sometimes they'll say, "Okay, you know, I what, what are the the nuances between the different definitions of BDSM?" I mean, yeah. I love getting asked questions like that. Sometimes they'll be completely new to things. Other times they're bringing in their other academic training, or sometimes they'll utterly completely surprise me. And let's see, I have a, a presentation called "Wild Side Sex No Holds Barred," which is "Ask Me Anything." Yeah, this is when the administrators leave the room. By design or because they're just nervous? By design. Okay, good. So they get to ask me. Right. Go ahead. Ask Auntie Midori anything. <laughs> Auntie Midori will tell you. And I have blow-up dolls as assistants that I perform these out with. Yeah. I will pantomime through sexual acts. And I have the students submit um, index cards of questions. And so I'll get, you know, um, basic questions like, um, uh, you know, how do I use a safe word? Yeah. Right. But on the other hand, I remember once getting opening it up and going, oh, my. Okay. <laughs> and uh, the question was something like, well, when my boyfriend is fisting me and it gets a little uncomfortable by the time he gets middle of a forearm, is there a better position to receive him more deeply? 
But yeah, that can take and you back. When I was his age, that wasn't what I was worrying about. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, good going. You <laughs> kids have come such a long way. Yeah. All right, let Auntie Midori help you. Have you tried a sling, honey? Yeah, yeah. 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 And then we got into talking about slings and its virtues. How? Because the the natural inclination, especially among students, when someone hears a question like that, is to laugh, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you how do you ask the question without yourself laughing and also not shaming or or is it just do you throw a you I, I laugh the end? I laugh all the way through there you go, there you go. and I throw in uh, like I said things that I've done poorly mm-hmm. right and I'm sharing all my my sex bloopers along the way so I'm laughing at myself so, yeah yeah I suppose that makes people a lot more comfortable yeah too. yeah um, how'd you get into rope or was that just uh, how, I should say how did you get into teaching rope how I got into rope is from growing up in some subconsciously in the back of my mind it was part of it's growing up in Tokyo watching like way too many chambara movies chambara's the sword fighting yeah. movies right and uh, cuz you know it's in the images like cowboys you know cowboy lassoing kind of stuff um so jidai geki o chambara um movies so there's that and you know we do obsessively package everything we're kind of neurotic that mm-hmm. way. So there's that. Um, and, and remember uh, my Sandra Jesse Helms exploring lover, blah, 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 yeah. right? Uh, somewhere along the way, we got the idea to take um, clothesline and tie each other down to the cinder blocks that the futon was on in the co-op. Yeah. You know, classic spread eagle, right? I have no idea where we got that idea. I don't know. It's probably Senator Jesse Helms again. <laughs> whatever. Um, I don't know where we got that idea, but we did. I wonder what he's doing nowadays. Anyhow. Um, and then, you know, as I'm exploring the, the sexual subculture on the kink landscape in San Francisco in the early 90s, I saw something that looked familiar. There were... Back then, there weren't a whole lot of people practicing. There were a lot of people doing Western-style, John Willie-style rope bondage and damsels in distress, Mm -hmm. Um, but not a lot of that which felt familiar to me and felt familiar to me because of uh, my cultural background. Mm -hmm. Well, I was... And, and I wanted to figure this out. There were a couple people who did that, so I tracked people down, begged, cajoled, and... uh, got introduced, you know, I ended up getting introduced from one person who introduced me to another person who then took me to meet somebody else who had, uh, who was a pro-dom with a background in Japan. And I asked her if she'd teach me. And then I'd asked anyone else that would teach me. Um, there weren't really classes, um, then I came across Mr. Nagaike in Japan, and uh, he, he, we actually met because he came over to the States, and he didn't really have any translators at an event that he essentially, I don't, he just kind of ended up at. And here's this guy who does rope in Japan and who's amazing, and Takeshi Nagaike, no translator. And they're asking around, anyone speak Japanese? I'm, I'm at an event now. <laughs> and I shadowed him. I shadowed him, and I learned from him. That's great. Yeah. Oh, and I also want to give um, due credit to my other fabulous teachers, including Lou Duff, uh, Kay Buckley. In, uh, 
I found that in the 90s in San Francisco, most rope tops were women. Yeah? Yeah. They were pro-doms and they picked it up, or they were just really into the... Well, uh, not just... They weren't all pros. Yeah. Some were... A couple of them were pro, but most of them were private practitioners. It was the art of wrapping. Mm-hmm. It was the art of fiber. And for some reason, in San Francisco, and I can't speak for other cities, but I've heard similar things. Uh, in the 80s and 90s, most of the topside practitioners of rope pleasures were women. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say about 60 to 70 percent. Oh. Yeah. And then there were uh, the likes of uh, uh, this guy, Wolf, that was one of the... Um, and, uh, one of the practitioners, then James showed up in Seattle, and yeah. For you, is it is it because you're an artist as well? Mm. It, is the how much of it is art? How much of it is sex? And how much of it is kink? What is it, uh, or is it a combination of all three? And it's whatever strikes my fancy at the moment, mm-hmm. and it can flow. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever start a scene and then you... Because well, you do so many rope events. And now, mind you, now my personal scenes versus performances are a very different thing. I'm sure, I'm sure. Right, yes. right. So, um, now my personal scenes aren't always about rope. Yeah. It's one of many uh, yeah. tricks up my sleeve. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, but, because uh, I don't... A chef does not use one knife alone. I'm sure, I'm sure. I'm always fascinated because I have friends who are so into rope. I just wish I could. I mean, I love being tied up. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's just like art. Like Sod likes all kinds of art, whether it's she's doing something with blood or she's doing something with mm-hmm. whatever. And the same thing goes for her with rope. Is is it's it's an extension of her artwork. And so for her, and I've seen it just when she's painting, and I've seen mm-hmm. it also when she's tying someone or tying me up. Uh, she gets into this zone, mm-hmm. and. I, I don't know what that's called. Do, I mean, do you, but you nodded right away. You're like, yeah, I know what mm-hmm. that is. What yeah. is, is that just... It's the flow. It's just the flow? It's just the flow. And it, you know what? Um, the rope's just a tool. Yeah. Rope like clay or paint or a pile of carrots. Um, it's a tool. Yeah. It's a tool. It's an ingredient. Um, you can, with... Desire and inspiration and the want of some authentic pleasure, right? And when I say pleasure, I don't mean just the pleasure of the genital or just the pleasure of the skin, but aesthetic pleasure and sensual pleasure and pleasure of being creative, right? Um, You use whatever tools you've got, right? That's one thing I liked about your your rope book too is that using that when because Saad was never really into rope that much and then we met and then she started getting into it more and using your book your book is most of the rope books that we've seen are seem to be more geared towards just the performance aspect of mm-hmm. it and uh, whereas yours you can tell it has you know you can do the performance aspect of it but it's also you know. When we when we play, it's not for performance. No, you know? no. Look, rope's just a tool. Yeah. Rope bondage isn't about knots. Rope bondage is about people. Yeah. And you do these four day 
Is there four day or oh, three day uh, intensives? The rope dojo, yeah. rope bondage dojo, is two days. Two days. Yeah, yeah. I, and I know so many people who've gone, and they've gone multiple times, and they all. Do they have by. fun? All of them. I've never, I've never <laughs> talked to anyone uh, because there's always limited space. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. You're, you keep the classes small. Yes. Because you want to have a lot of one on one time with the students. Yeah. Oh, we drill them, we drill them, drill them, drill them. And it's not just how to tie. It's how to think, how to strategize, how to communicate, how to move the other, how to be moved by the other. Mm-hmm. Excellent topping skill and excellent bottoming skill. Uh, it's about the whole scene. It's not just knots. It's about the whole scene. And it's also about the discipline of being willing to be present. Mm-hmm. I, I remember talking to our mutual friend Delano about mm-hmm. it. And he's... The, you know how he's got that certain way he speaks. Mm. And, um, yeah, I, I, I asked him, I said, well, what's it like when you're, when you're helping out? And, and he talked about it, so it, almost sort of like it's a mini community. Yeah. While, for those two days. Mm-hmm. And um, you start very basic, mm-hmm. right? Because you have several le- layer, uh, levels, right? Is it two or three different levels? Of- two, but two? what I actually do in the, the level one is... Uh, like like a lot of martial arts classes or skills classes, arts classes that we have many nuances built in. So mm-hmm. if you're absolutely a beginner, never picked up rope, there's some basic things you'll walk away and be fantastic at. If you already have experience, we're expecting you to get the nuances in between. Mm-hmm. And if you have a lot more experiences, well, we expect you to get you know faster smoother and more in the moment so with whatever level you're at we have different expectations so like you said it's just like the martial arts is something you start with level one and then Mm -hmm. you can't take level two until you've already taken level correct uh and that's sort of a quality control thing for you too i imagine Mm -hmm. uh did you decide to instill that because you started doing level two but there were some a lot of level one people in it and they were holding the whole class back or is it we needed to make sure that they understood the philosophical uh, and almost spiritual, but philosophical underpinning of the rope dojo. Mm-hmm. And we also have goofy names and shorthands on mm-hmm. things. And if I look, if I said, "Okay, pop quiz, alien baby," alien baby. Right. And you don't know what that means no, while the rest of the class is moving on to do this complicated uh, body uh, harness. I got you. Right. For some reason, I, 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 I had like a 500 different alien baby right. movies pop in my head. But yes, right. right. Yeah. So we've got these funny shorthands. Um, you know, there are certain ways that I do things. Yeah. And when I'm doing rope bondage dojo, well, you know, I turn into a little Mr. Miyagi. I turn into a... I'm kind of a firm-handed little Japanese guy. Master. Yeah. yeah. A funny little Japanese man is what I turn into. Uh, everyone I know who's taken it has mm-hmm. sworn by it, loves it. There were people I know who started, to, and they were all the, the level one people, but uh, started into it, and they were like, "Yeah, okay, I'll, I'm kind of into rope. I'll take this class." And then afterwards, they're just completely, "Oh, amazing! It's almost like." It's almost like Mac people, like me, right? If, if I convince someone to finally buy a Mac, and then yeah. they do, then they're like, "I know, now I know what you're talking about." Right? Now right. I know what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. You have a rope dojo coming up in DC. When is it? Uh, the Washington DC rope dojo is March 29th to 30th, 2014, and also I do San Francisco twice a year. So it's twice a year in San Francisco, twice and once a year in DC, January 18th to 19th, 2014. And then again in summer. 
you do, and if somebody just got to go to your website, which is on ropedojo.com. Ropedojo. But it's all, in case they're driving right now and can't write that down, they can remember Mastercast, they can click on the link. Absolutely. There. And they're, you're always having some uh, up there, right? Three, three dojos a, a year with uh, two on the West Coast and one on the East Coast. Yep. Some, something for everyone. So, is Fort, how, how long have you been doing Fort FM? Fort FM, Women's Dominance Weekend Intensive. I started that around 2002, mm-hmm. 2002, 2003, I think. And it's a three-day intensive. Myself, a teaching assistant and nine women. And we do this in New York City once a year and twice a year in San Francisco. What was the gen- why did you do where did this come from? Well, this came from well there was my first class that I taught, the Art of Feminine Dominance. Mm-hmm. And it turned out there were a lot of people. Now the two hour class the Art of Feminine Dominance is open to all genders. Anyone with anything femme within them and their lovers. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of Forte Femme, it's limited to nine women. And, uh, you know, I do the two-hour classes. And there's, and by the end of the class, I have so much more I want to cover. And two hours, that's, that's just your introductory pep talk. Yeah. And there's so much I want to share. Um, so what I did was I sat down and thought about, well, if I had a full weekend... How could I help other women find their authentic inner power and their joy and confidence? How could I do that? If I had three full days or two and a half days to teach as I wish, Mm -hmm. to help guide and open doors and and, uh, assist women in discovering their own pleasures. I'm curious what this class looks like. I, I have a lot of people who will email me when, when women email me regarding female dominance, mm-hmm. they usually have one of two, because they're always asking for, oh, what, what's your, what would you suggest I do? And their, their email usually starts with either, A, uh, my husband or partner is mm-hmm. really into this, mm-hmm. and uh, I find it hot. I've never thought of it before, but I'm curious where to start. I have no mm-hmm. launching point. Sure. Or the other side of the, the, the email is, starts, uh, I've always been turned on by this. I have no idea... Until I read a book or saw a website, I had no idea that I could actually explore this kink side of mm-hmm. me. I don't have a partner. How do I find one? Uh, how do I explore this side of me? Mm-hmm. Um, those are two very different. Mm-hmm. You know, when someone has it naturally inside them, mm-hmm. uh, that desire, as opposed to someone who's, you know, has it inside them, but it was introduced introduced to someone else. Um, are those the type of people usually who go to your classes, or do you oh, have sort of the... Oh, goodness. I have a wide, delicious range. Yeah. Okay, so on one hand, uh, I'll get somebody who's like, you know, I don't know anything about this. My hu- husband, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my wife is interested in this, and so, all right, I know nothing about this. What does BDSM stand for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have that. Then I have individuals who are like, oh, I had this not too long ago. I have 25 years of play experience. I've been in DS relationships as a dominant. I kind of feel like I've lost it a little bit. Yeah. And I could use a refresher. I've got that. Yeah. I, and I also have the, um, yeah, oh my God, I discovered this this like kink community just three months ago. And I'm doing everything. And I, I think this turns me on. Uh, whole range, yeah. right? And they they come to the weekend together. Yeah. 
of what they do have in common, all these women. They're really, really intelligent. And they also understand that in order to, they have this innate and strong sense that they have the right to invest in their pleasure and invest in their own enlightenment. And they're actively seeking it. Mm-hmm. They don't, maybe they've had the, the shorter classes, the evening classes, or maybe they've gone to events with lots of little classes, and it's a little too scattered. It's not focused, it's not in-depth, and they understand that there's greater depth and nuance to this, and they want to get the most concentrated and personalized instruction. They're investing in themselves. Mm-hmm. These are intelligent women, and most of the women that, that come to uh, the Fort FM weekend, they are... Uh, business professionals. They're very well educated. I had one class that had half of the class were healthcare professionals. Uh, yeah. What is it? So what is it? What does this look like? What type of classes do you teach? I'm very curious because I, I, I have no idea where to start. When I when I, I usually forward the email on to Saad when someone asks mm-hmm. me some of these questions, they'll say, "Well, should I learn rope or should I?" And I always say, "Just learn whatever you want to learn. What turns you on?" I, and go from there. But could I recommend maybe my book, Wild Side Sex, the Book of Kink? There you go. Yeah, there, there you go. go. Uh, I start off with. Oh, I should send you a copy. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, I talk about. I talk about why kink, uh, not not about the why each activity, or what's underneath all that, mm-hmm. right? So, hmm. Uh, so the Fourth FM weekend. Yeah. Right. It's not, well, it's not what I call a wacky pokey bindy class. It's not. I'm not stringing. Yeah, <laughs> wacky pokey. <laughs> that's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, it's not a series of technique, uh, how to use X, Y, or Z tools strung together. Yeah. We focus. We. I actually use um, my own version of a, a kind of a Jungian perspective to dig into each of us. What would truly please us? And we do a lot of work around, we discard stereotype, and we work on finding what really thrills you, not what you think you should be thrilled by. And we learn how to hold space, about confidence, about amazing decision-making skills. It's leadership skills. It's leadership skill in the bedroom and the dungeon. It's about confidence and authority. Let's talk about what you just said. You said um, how to find out what really turns you on, not what you think turns mm-hmm. you on. This goes back to something a friend of mine said long ago uh, when she was she was curious about kink. She was a vanilla friend of mine, mm-hmm. and I came out to her, and she reacted very, very positively. And she said, you know, I'm really curious about being dominant, but I don't want to call men worm all the time. Right. Which I'm like, well, that never happens with me. So I hope I hope that's not you know. Uh, there's a there's this idea of because of porn or because of the cliche, movie, yeah, the, cliche. the media cliche. Is that where a lot of the women in your classes are getting the idea from, or is that what you're referring to when you say what you think? Or even within, uh, for those who are active in the kink subcultures and communities, there are certain activities that happen in dungeons and play spaces. And if there's a, a woman might have an expectation that she sh- ought to enjoy giving a flogging yeah. because she's a top. 
Well, no, she doesn't. She could enjoy having a perfectly delicious cup of tea made yeah. into her specifications. Sure. Yeah. So how do you how do you how do you help someone find that? Oh, that's why it's two and a half days. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> you sure? You yes. But we start off by myth busting. I, uh, for example, I start off the weekend with a rather controversial statement. Go ahead. I, said, I am not a dominant. How? Uh, and then people were like, uh? And and then I asked the classroom, well, what do you think I am? And they, they said, oh, you're, you're a switch? You're a top? <laughs> you're, you're, are you a submissive? You're, you're not a dominant. And, and I pause and I wait and said, okay, here's the answer. I'm not a dominant. I'm Midori. I am Midori. And each of you, I challenge you to stop identifying yourselves as dominant but to regard yourself and treasure yourself for your full complexity of your humanity and understanding that dominance or desire to take a leadership role is something that is part of your complexity with uh, waxing and waning expressions depending on the context and your appetites and desires. It's a much healthier way of looking at it. Right. And so we start off by saying, I am not a dominant. I I am me Mm -hmm. with all of my joys and appetites and flaws and desires and hungers and lusts and some of those lusts and hungers are to take control are to it is about getting to getting what i want and to clearly communicate what i want is a gift to you because now you can share in my joy i think it's really difficult for a lot of i have a lot of friends who are dominant and it's really difficult for a lot when something they are into doesn't conform to the stereotype of dominance. Indeed. I have a friend who she is, as far as everything that her activities, majority of them would say she's a top or dominant. Uh, she recently, and she's very, she was kind of cute. She came out on the show. She came out as being someone who was into, she enjoyed being tickled, yeah. but it was so hard for her because that's not dominant. I'm putting air quotes here, right. you know. And it was so hard for her to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a there's a lot of, uh, and the same thing goes for for submissives. I know there's a sort of one upmanship amongst submissive guys. They're like, oh well, I've been in chastity for uh, you know seven months now, and that's sort of like if you haven't, then you're not a you know what I mean. You yeah. You're not a true submissive type of thing. Uh, and that's one thing I like about. People like yourself, who you come out and you 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 do the, like the myth busted. You do also do the you kind of humanize it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's so important for people to and people seem to forget this because they get caught up in some online role or persona that um, that everyone's completely unique and that that there's no right one way to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we have to engage in forgiveness of ourselves mm-hmm. and whether you're top or bottom or dominant or submissive, to to forgive ourselves and love ourselves for our complexity, that we're not a two-dimensional stereotype, that we're not a fictional cliché. And that's both joyful and complicated. And how one navigates the complexity and the struggles of uh, the, the complexity and struggles of everyday life and the dungeon 
and the bedroom is is what makes us sweet and unique and each moment shared just fabulous. Couldn't have said it better myself. Mm-hmm. How often do you do the uh, uh, the Fort FM class? Fort FMs happen about three times a year, once in a while, four times a year. And it happens twice in San Francisco and once in New York City, both in elegant private lofts and uh, we have Saturday night field trips and the one in San Francisco we also have an erotic dinner Uh, one in New York we have a field trip to Purple Passion and they pamper us like all get out and it's fantastic and each class because they're nine they bond almost like this uh, sorority. And then I've started um, alumni and graduate events. And so the women who are graduates are now showing up to dinners and events with the the new class of women. That's really great. And you know what I've been finding out is many of the students from previous classes are staying in touch, they're getting together, and there's a genuine connection. I, I often find that there's in certain sectors of the scene there's not a lot of opportunity for women to women who are interested in dominance to just hang out to to have dinner together go shopping together to bitch about their spouses or their submissives or get their nails done or um brainstorm about uh, many of the women are business women so they'll uh, there's actually kind of an old girls network <laughs> forming uh and network around work well there's a lot i know who they want a sisterhood of mm-hmm. some kind but they don't want to be in a quote-unquote scene they want they don't want to go right. to a kink event no you and know, they don't want to go to a dungeon and stuff like that and after spending three days together and opening our hearts to one another and helping one another because it's a very mutually uh teaching and supporting environment and every woman that comes to the class even if she has no experience in kink has amazing life experience and i help them to take their own life experience into methods of empowering their their bedroom and dungeon life they support one another they don't need to go to a scene event to form a strongly bonded support that's great and most of the the fort fm events that we do are in elegant dinner attire. Protocol. You do a class on protocol. Oh, yes. Passionate bonds. Real life DS and MS protocol and relationship. And I teach this with Laura Antonu, the author of the Marketplace series and the Killer War Leather. You... uh, Protocol is something a lot of people are confused by. Yes. Some people, myself included, I totally understand it. I know why it speaks to me. I know what's Mm -hmm. amazing about it. But some people, uh, it just doesn't click. And uh, sometimes I think because they're used to seeing online protocol or... Yes. um, How do you explain it to someone who doesn't doesn't click with? Protocol, as we see it, is about a set of codified behaviors that support the relationship and celebrate the power-disparate dynamic of that particular relationship. So every protocol should have a practical aspect. The dominant gets a nice cup of tea. Mm -hmm. But also has an overarching and undercurrent to support the relationship dynamic. The simple act of giving the cup of tea for the dominant from the submissive 
enforces their bond, their, celebrates their relationship, and emphasizes it in a joyous and healthy way. So, yeah. yeah, that's it. Uh, and sometimes uh, we are turned on by seeing or reading about protocols. So we'll jump to the conclusion that it's the protocol that excites us. But what's really exciting us is what the protocol expresses. That bond, that loyalty, that relationship, the leadership and followership, that unit that is unique and like no one else, right? To be special in this functioning unit. I I know some people who, who, when they are presented with the idea of protocols, um, one friend in particular, she said, because she had the, what I would say was not my idea of protocols. Mm -hmm. She thought it was like, oh, you have to, uh, and of course this is some people, this is some people's protocol, but you have to kneel at a certain time and you have to do this and you have to do this. Uh, Which she she thought, okay, that sounds more like more work than it is anything Mm -hmm. else. Whereas I, I, I explained to her that for, for Sadanai, all the little protocols we have, all they're all productive, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. or uh, they don't make it more difficult for her. They make things easier for her. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, some people do like it if they're slave. As soon as they walk in the room, they kneel. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not a requirement. I think that's what some people think, is that they have to oh, do certain things. that there's, w- uh, there, there's one clear-cut book of what you're supposed yeah. to do. Yeah, I, I, yes, I've encountered that myth as well. And part of the reason that we do Passionate Bonds is to give people the tools by which to create the best possible set of customized protocol that serves their relationship for the mission and objective and the joy of their relationship. So what's a good starting point? When someone is trying to think of what their protocols should be, if someone says, I definitely want protocols, but I have no idea which ones... Pick one one simple thing that happens in an ordinary, everyday life, Mm -hmm. for example, how to address you, Mm -hmm. or maybe your favorite beverage. Just one thing. Something that happens frequently through a day, or maybe at least once a day, right? At least once a day. And you need to keep it simple, so how to address you, right? Um, You need to keep it executable, if it's difficult to execute, eventually it'll fall by the wayside, right? Uh, it needs to be executable, and it needs to enforce and serve the power dynamics of the relationship. Um, pick one thing. Pick one thing, and it, it requires training of not just the submissive, but the dominant as well. There's a lot more in common here with dog training, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, Caesar the dog whisperer actually trains the humans. Yeah, yeah. So the leadership, the authority role, needs to understand that they must be consistent with this, and it also must be something that it matters to them. If you didn't like coffee, and if I were in service to you, learning the precise protocol on making coffee would be irrelevant. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a perfect that's a perfect example. Yeah, simple thing, and it's got to be something that would naturally occur in that person's life and yeah. person's life. You start with one, and then you start adding to it. Yeah. Now the fancy fancy schmancy protocol, naked on knees, it's with a giant collar with a pink cowbell. You know. 
Sure. So, and on some, I guarantee you, someone's listening to those. Yes, good to that. What about that one? Yes. Right. Well, that might not always be practical yeah. when it's Thanksgiving and <laughs> 200 of your closest family members are nearby. This is true. This so is true. Uh, we talk about the four environments of designing protocol. Yeah. So whether it's a cup of beverage or how to greet you. Are we in, there would be a protocol variant variant on the same thing for what I call parade day, mm-hmm. which would be like a leather event or a kink event where your relationship and and practices are not only acknowledged but celebrated and supported. And people are in all sorts of fancy attires and lots of people are naked on the knees with giant cowbells around their necks. Right. Um, then what I call garrison day, which is your everyday. You know, you, you take your kids to to school and you go to the doctor and you got to go to work and you pay the taxes, dishes get washed and the dogs get walked Mm -hmm. and all that, right? And uh, that's your everyday garrison day. Uh, How would I address you? How would I give you your beverage? R&R, that's an environment where there's a loosened protocol, but our power dynamic is still existing. Mm -hmm. Then there's hostile territory. Remember Thanksgiving with 200 of your closest right. relatives? You know? Yeah. That would be when you want to go stealth, and you want to have really nifty stealth protocol that only you and yours understand. So there's actually an art to crafting protocols that actually start with identifying the mission of your relationship. Now, your mission of your relationship is identified through doing work on figuring out what your priorities are and your vision of your ideal relationship. Yeah. So passionate bonds revolves around, well, we ask pesky questions. Right. We make you work. Yeah. We make you work to clarify your vision so you become your own expert at making amazing protocols. That's perfect. Yeah. How, how often do you do that class? Once a year. Yeah. Once a year, maybe twice a year, because it's matching Laura and my schedule. Yeah. Uh, it, we're going to be doing this in Dallas this year. It's going to be December 6th through 8th, uh, 2013, in Dallas, Texas. And once in a while we do twice a year. Generally once a year. We're going to work hard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is this a, a one or two day? Uh, two and a half. Two and a half, wow. Two and a half. We start with... Uh, classes boom on friday night so finally finally a reason to go to texas yes this is right yes um hotels are cheap flights are easy and we'll be there to put you through some tough tasks that's cool and we even do things like change and shift and dissolution planning uh we talk about check-in scheduling and at the end of it we actually have people demonstrate a protocol action uh i want to talk about your Art. Yes. Was there anything else on your schedule you wanted to talk about? Oh, goodness. About? Oh, so Passionate Bonds. Yes. Uh, it's passionatebonds.com. So it ends with an S. Passionatebonds.com. And there's also a link on, yes, there on, is. on the podcast as well. You'll be able to see it there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, is there anything else on your schedule you wanted to talk about before we... I had a question. I, yeah. There is something, your artwork. There is oh, something coming yes, up. yes. You're going to be in Mexico. Yes. And, and this is, now, it's funny, we were talking about it beforehand. You said people will say, a performance, is this a kinky performance? Is this a sex performance? Because people just assume that everything you do has to do with sex or kink of some sort. But this is, this is something entirely different. Mm-hmm. Well, not entirely, but it's different. Yeah, actually, the true statement would be everything that I do 
is about creativity and expression and being. There you go. And part of creativity, expression, and being, authentic being, is kink and sex. And part of uh, creativity and authentic being and expression is art. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they overlap, sometimes they don't. But, oh, I'm very excited. There's a project, uh, The Bridge of Mud and Feathers, collaboration between me and Samar, who's this amazing body art performer coming from the body modification community. And then this documented by award-winning videographer Eliza Barrios. This will be November 1st in Oaxaca, Mexico, which is Dia de los Muertos, and I'll learn to say that better. I'm a <laughs> Japanese speaker learning how to speak in Spanish. Um, Day of the Dead. And I have a, an ongoing character that manifests herself, a persona that I perform. Mm -hmm. And she is called the Yamamba, which is like a, a mountain woman. And she is going to manifest herself, suddenly appear across the Pacific in Oaxaca, Mexico, in this entire town that has been turned into skulls and flowers. And she will be during her own rituals. In Japan, there is something called Obon, which is a Japanese Day of the Dead. Like the Day of the Dead or All Saints Day, it's when the walls of the worlds get thin and when the ancestors walk among us. And this is November 1st? November 1st. I'm fascinated. I don't know, I don't know what oh. else to say after that. That's amazing. Oh, and, and you'll get to meet the Yamamba. And I will be, uh, actually, if you go to, my, uh, go to our Tumblr site, that is bridgeofmudandfeathers.tumblr.com, uh, we're chronicling our progress. We're actually going to be doing a Kickstarter as well. It's this crazy multi-hour performance. My old lady character is going to be seen in town doing strange things among unsuspecting Oaxacans. So we're, we're recording this right now. It's the beginning of September, but it's gonna, this is going to go live in October. Is yes. the Kickstarter going on even as we speak? It should be. Should be? It should be. If there is, we'll have a link to it. Great. And um, if not, we will be linking to uh, the Tumblr page, and I will be social mediaing and, yeah. How? One last question, mm -hmm. and, and I, I hope you're willing to come back again next time you're in New York. Uh, how the hell do you keep all... You've got, you've got to be the busiest person. You're the James Brown of everything. Ow! Right. Yeah. How do you, how do, you do it? Well, I mean... I'm insane? I guess. Um, I, I... Well, let's see. Uh, there's a lot of things I've had to sacrifice. I mean, I'd like to go take regular dance lessons. I'd like to take this and this classes. I can't. I'd like to spend more time... Uh, with my friends and family at home, and I don't get to. Yeah. But then I spend time with fam uh, friends and family in, in Tokyo, in Alaska, in Sweden, in New York. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I probably have overly optimistic vision of time. I, I got winded reading your schedule. <laughs> the, uh, so if someone right now is a dance instructor mm -hmm. and they think oh if she you know and they're in Dallas and they're like oh or they're in San Francisco or New York they can email you and they can say I'll give you some free dance classes uh, stop on by and that way you can take a little break from your huge schedule to mm -hmm. learn the cha-cha or what mm -hmm. what would dance in particular 
Oh, gosh, anything. I'm actually terribly rhythm impaired, so I need a lot of lessons. I Actually, I'd love to get more proper training in buto, but then that gets more into my art again. Mm-hmm. I, I'm work obsessed. I love my work. That's a good thing to be I, in. I love my work. But yeah. Most people don't, so this yeah. is good. This I, is good. I'm absolutely passionate about my work. Um, I, and I guess my, you know, I do recharge, and I do that by being outdoors and contemporary art. Um, I'm a huge contemporary art junkie. I find, uh, for me, I like to go somewhere where I have no choice mm-hmm. but to relax. Mm-hmm. Where there's no internet, there's no roads, there's no electricity, there's no nothing. I like you know, do that, and that's that's my thing. Yeah. Maybe I'm, I'm sure you already know what what works for you. Do you have a few more? Just a couple more minutes to answer questions. Yeah. All right. Here we go. This is from Twitter. Here we've got I got another couple other questions here. What are, what are the most important things to know about about a bottom before engaging in hot humiliation play? So if you're going to engage in hot humiliation play, what's the most important thing to know about bottom first? Uh, from a bottom's perspective? Or I think from this a- is if, if you're going to top someone. Oh, okay. From a top's uh, perspective. What's the, what's the most important thing to know about the bottom before you're going to do humiliation? Okay, the most important thing to know. Okay. Because um, humiliation play is really Right. Tricky, and actually it's one of, one of my specialty classes. Yeah. I really love teaching humiliation play and how to do so in a healthy, constructive manner because it can also be done in a destructive way. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, is it one most important thing or can I list a couple? Go ahead. Okay. Um, and I'm going to speak for myself. Sure. Okay. If I'm going to be topping somebody, I want to make sure that this scene is not about reinforcing damage. That this is not about reinforcing and uh, reinforcing a trauma. One. Mm-hmm. Two, I want to know about that which I must not touch. What I call the core, the core positive values of a person. And I, that I will not touch. But then everything else becomes uh, fodder for um, dismantling the arbitrary construct of identity. <laughs> uh, here's another one. This is from a friend of the show, Mistress Crimson. She said, I knew that this is probably it. Uh, uh, what's your favorite post-scene snack? Mm. This is a two-part question. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, mm-hmm. Two questions, not two-part. Mm-hmm. So what's your favorite post-scene snack? Mm-hmm. If I can get my hands on it, yeah. watermelon. Watermelon. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and when are you coming back to Chicago? Oh, oh, is this Crimson from Chicago? Yeah. Hello. Hello. Uh, gosh, um, hopefully sooner than later, but I'm going to be back in May for Shibari Khan. She's great. Yeah. And she loves you. So yeah, those are the two. So maybe she's going to try out some watermelon. Here's the here's a question from Eric Pride. Yes. Hi. He says. Uh, uh, how does you think the li- how do you think the lifestyle slash kink scene has changed in the past ten years? Also, please send her my regards. I, saw, I last saw her at Fetish Flea in Providence earlier this year. Oh, Eric's a doll. Yes. Yeah. Oh, in the last ten years, do I only get the last ten years? Okay. Uh, how's it changed? You know, I really think of now as the golden age of kink. You think now is because a yes. lot of people pine for the oh, oh in my day oh Camelot oh you know what. I pine for my early days of discovery. Yeah. Sure. Um, but that's a personal narrative. In my personal arc, I long for that sense of discovery. I long for that um, secret places. I, I 
now romanticize the fact that I had to struggle so damn hard to get the basic easy information yeah. back in the day yeah. when we had to walk uphill both ways I, to the dungeon and we wore dinosaur leather <laughs> ah, those were the good old days you know it's it's nostalgia mm -hmm. and I will hold dear my nostalgia but here's the reason why I say that now is a golden age okay we have an opportunity to explore and dialogue. Mm -hmm. um, sure, there are things like that I could easily complain about. Who can't? It's um, you know we all feel a little prickly when our favorite restaurants are discovered. Yeah. Um, but we have so much information, and there's such reduction in shame and pathologizing. There's an opportunity. I can talk about this. Um, with softer language with my mother-in-law. Yeah. Without, yeah. you know, her wondering if I was a serial killer. Yeah, that's right? a good point. Uh, I can, I find, easily find healthcare practitioners that go, uh-huh, okay, so you do X, Y, and Z, so what preventative medicine do we have to do? Okay, great. That's great. Uh, we have information, education, dialogue, exploration, an ability to... Uh, be more discerning with partners instead of desperately holding on to that one person you think is the only other pervert that's into, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I'm sure Eric's going to love the answer. Uh, I hope you're willing to come back and do this again. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. And if, I, if I'm lucky enough to be in San Francisco or at your next uh, big event, uh, I'll bring my microphone. And for those of you who are uh, social media folks, I'm um, Instagram, Twitter, FetLife. Planet Midori. Uh, Planet Midori. Yeah. Uh, Midori on FetLife, Planet Midori everywhere else. Yeah, and no, totally, bring, bring a mic, and yeah, I, I'll be happy to, happy to come over. Thank you so much. Yeah, and anyway, you're close to my favorite pizza joint. Oh, yes. Uh, this is perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. Uh, thanks, Midori. Uh, all, all of your information, all the links you could possibly need, right there, MassyCast.com. You can click to donate. You can also click and find all the information uh, that Midori talked about right there. Thanks uh, for listening. I'm going to go back to being sick. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.